Hey fellow nerds, welcome to Research Hole, a podcast where I talk to artists about the research holes we fall down on the way to our projects. I'm Val Howlett, and this is our second episode. We're back with Rebecca J, who is a dancer, performer, writer. And I mean, you can learn all about her in episode one. Um, We go through her whole bio and we talked about a research hole she fell down on a way to a project she's working on called Sailing, which is a musical. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Val. Um, Now, Rebecca is not what I call you in life. It is a performer name. Yes. Um, Can I ask why, like like how you chose Rebecca J? Yes. So, okay, my, the name that I was given, you know, at birth was Rebecca and my middle initial was J. which stands for Judith, but I I hadn't actually been referred to as that. And uh, a couple of years ago, I actually found out that J, as in J-A-Y, was what I would have been named if I had been born a boy. And it really kind of stuck with me for a while. And I just kind of, as I was moving into the world of performance, um, just as I was starting to fill out forms and applications and the way that I was writing my name, I just started kind of adding that A-Y to my middle initial and it stuck. And I think it's just been really empowering for me because it kind of taking that, the the name that I was born as a female and then merging that with the name that I would have been born if I were born male, it just kind of feels really freeing to me. It kind of feels like it takes a lot of these structures that are placed on us based on gender away and kind of just empowers me to be exactly who I am. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a really cool transition for me. Totally, there's power in names. And I think, yes. um, I think there's power, there's like a freeing wonder in choosing a new name to, to um, sort of, speak to a part of your identity um are you using because like okay so me i'm thinking about vanessa howell do you know about vanessa howell no vanessa howell is a pen name i use for picture books oh so i have a picture book coming out this year um in in june that's amazing which is is called the foodie flamingo (gasps) it is about a a flamingo who learns to love trying new foods (laughs) that is amazing I'm so excited to read it but the author is Vanessa Howell and that is um there's a lot of reasons why I didn't go by Val Howlett for that um and I'm not gonna get into all of them like some have to do with logistics and like my publisher and whatever um right and some have to do with marketing there's a lot yeah um I I think in the future there will be stories and um hopefully books fingers crossed that i publish under val howlett yeah um but i i kind of like i love a pen name man and i and i love um i don't know i was thinking about i always think about this thing that another one of our friends orly told me Mm. um so basically we have this friend named orly mutual friend yeah and she once told me that whenever she's at like Starbucks or something where she has to give her name for an order, 
she never gives them her real name. What she she never them? gives them Orly because she because partially because they fuck it up all the time. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's just not fun to hear them fuck it up. Um, she gives them like Rose or something like that. Um, but she also said to me, she was like, there's power in giving people your real name. They don't not everyone gets to have my real name. Mm. And yeah. I've thought about that all the time. Like I use Valerie a lot when I'm working and it's not because I feel like Valerie. Like I, I feel the most like Val. Yeah. Um, but when I'm sending a professional work email, I'm like, you don't get Val. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm in publicist mode now. I am Valerie. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with like being an actor and playing a part. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that that's, I think that's really cool. And I, I totally think that there is something really empowering too about that, that choice. And I definitely find myself with um, certain projects or things that I'm doing, maybe not going by Rebecca J. And then there are times when I do go by Rebecca J. And I feel like that to me feels like my most like creative artistic self. So it's like the things that I'm really excited about that I go into with that name. And it feels really good to make that choice and be able to to do that. Uh, in college, uh, I went to hippie college, as, <laughs> as Rebecca J. surely knows. Yes. Many of our mutual <laughs> friends heard a lot did. about <laughs> um, A lot of people like took on a new name when they got there. That or makes so much sense. Went by a nickname. I, I didn't hear what you said, but I'm sure it was disparaging. I said that makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I don't know. There's something about that that I found really endearing about my college. Like, even though there were a lot of people named, like, things like Kale. Just, just, that, just that, you know, people were playing and they were trying things out and they were sort of embracing the newness of being alone for the first time. That's really empowering. And I don't think I really understood that until a couple of years ago when I, I first started to to try one for myself. And you're letting people kind of refer to you in the way that you want to be referred to as, and you have power and choice in that. It's, it's a really cool thing. Yeah. All right, good good starting point to talk about some <laughs> historical Philadelphians. <laughs> Is that your research hole? Yeah, so the research wow. hole I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to talk about this deep dive I did about, uh, basically I'm going to tell you a story, if that's okay. Excellent. Yes, I am here for it. Yeah, so uh, the story is about a, a, a historical dude. Um, his name is Grover Cleveland Bergdahl. Mm. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we're going to talk about. I wonder if I should talk a little bit about why. Tell me about your yeah. project. I want to yeah, hear about so your project. So a lot, I think a, this is probably going to be a lot of, I have a lot of research holes. That's why I started <laughs> this podcast, because I needed somewhere to put them. Yeah. Um, like initially so i've been working on a novel a ya novel um it's a novel that i've been working on since 2014 so it is now 2021 so i've, I've taken a lot of detours <laughs> that makes sense that makes sense and i've learned i've learned a lot of stuff and um 
I, I have been filling documents with stuff that I like whenever I find a story, I like follow it for a while. And if it's definitely not going to wind up in the book at all, I just like put it in a, a doc. Mm. Um, so I have all these documents that I want to share with people, but I like, I can't write another thing <laughs> because I, I yeah. barely have time to write the novel. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta be writing. If I'm writing, I gotta be writing the novel. Yeah, totally. I think it, I think that's really cool though because there really aren't places where you talk much about the kind of like detours that you take or the things that you learn along the way. Like there aren't that many opportunities in conversation to share these things. Yeah. So so today I'm going to talk about I'll tell you a little bit about how I found our friend Grover. Yes. And he's not our friend. He's he, we we feel complicated about him. I th- I think at the end you you too will feel complicated about him. Okay, interested to see. Or maybe you'll just hate him. <laughs> so when one one does historical research, one spe- spends a lot of time on old newspaper clippings. Yeah. There's a great site called newspapers.com that you can get a scri- subscription to and mm-hmm it just allows you to do real deep dives into like a bunch of newspaper clippings at the same time. And my characters, so my characters, I think it's 1912, mainly 1912 in my book. And my characters are from Philly where I live and they spend, they live in Philly, but they spend the summer in Bryn Mawr for various reasons. Got it. Familiar with both those places. Yeah. Rebecca grew up not on the main line exactly, but near the main line, right? Yeah. So suburbs of Philly. Suburbs of Philly. So, and then spent, went to college in Philly, so knows Philly really well. So there's going to be a lot of uh, names of of townships you've heard of coming up. Yes, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) One day I was... I was going into, this is all to say, I was just looking through um, all of the newspaper articles from 1912 about that were set in Bryn Mawr. So I was just like doing a search for Bryn Mawr. And I was just trying to see if anything happened that summer that was interesting that I could work into my book or would give me like context. And honestly, most of it was about polo games. (laughs) <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Because the main line is Richie Rich. The main um, line is, yeah, <laughs> that's very main line. And the rich people around that time, I think a lot of sort of wealthy Philadelphians were really into polo. And I even had a, a few moments where I was like, do I have to learn about polo? Like to write this book? <laughs> Because we really don't want to. And I've mostly resolved that my character, if my character doesn't care about polo, I don't need to. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, so mostly it's like Bryn Mawr was in this polo match and it won or lost and blah, blah, blah. It's boring. And then I come, and then I come to this article, right? This is what the article is called. Startling gowns at horse show. <laughs> and then the subtitle is smoked glasses needed if colors worn are to be so this winter. Oh, wow. Tell me about this article. Yeah. It's by Phoebe Rush. 
I think she either was a society lady or like covered society. Mm. And the majority of this article is about how you get the sense that the horse show, the Bryn Mawr horse show is a thing that happens every year. And that, and mostly is just talking about the gowns everyone wore. So it's like all the rich people of all the land, blah, 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 <laughs> came to the Bryn Mawr horse show and, and their gowns were so colorful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it makes so much sense. And it's just like, it's like a, it's like a fashion piece. And she's like, Mrs. So-and-so wore this. Uh, so I'm reading this little fashion piece and I'm like taking some notes. But then at the end, there's this, this paragraph. Um, I'm going to read it to you because it's sort of what drove me into Grover Seabird doll land. Yeah. Okay, here's the paragraph. Grover Seabird doll, an aviator, timed his flight so as to interrupt the show at its most entertaining point and take away the interest of spectators. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from this, there was little to be seen that has not been seen in every Bryn Mawr and Devon horse show for years past. Just why a flying machine, which is no longer a novelty to us, should take it into its head to appear at Bryn Mawr and upset the calculations of the gentlemen who have given much time, money, and hard work to make it a success, one cannot see very readily. However, it did appear, and for quite half an hour distracted the attention of spectators as well as the riders in the hunt classes. It might be well after this experience for the next horse show committee to invite this aviator to come and sit in a box by himself where he can be seen by all without interrupting the show. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so naturally I was like, okay. And then I started searching for Grover C. Bergdahl in newspaper clippings. Right, Because of I was course. like, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> This is an amazing paragraph because this lady's like, oh no, you know, she's so <laughs> perturbed <laughs> that, it, that an aviator interrupted her show. Um, and he kept at it for a half an hour. That is impressive. Yeah, he flew over this horse show. Um, <laughs> also, I had never heard of the Bryn Mawr horse show. I've heard of the Devon horse show. But I didn't know that there was a Bryn Mawr one. I'm not surprised at all. But Dude, is there still a Devon horse show? I'm pretty sure that I went to it a couple of years ago. What was it um, like? But I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Devon horse show. There's a horse show right around there still. Listen, um, I, the Devon horse show is going to come up later. Really? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, that that's still the name of the one that I went to. And it was, I mean... I only went there for a little bit. I kind of looked at what was happening with the horses, but didn't actually sit and watch because I was there with my niece and nephew who were very young and they weren't really having it. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of like food stands and there were some games and it was like a whole big event. And I definitely saw some people with the exact type of outfits and hats that you would think that you would see. Really? Um, yeah. Still. At that place. Yeah. And it wasn't everybody. But I, I think that there was a, I think there was a particular show going on, and again, I didn't really get to see it because my niece and nephew were not into just sitting and watching horses move. Yeah. Um, but were they, uh, I have so many questions that are just related <laughs> to my research, and I'm gonna try and temper it. But like, okay, I'll do my best to answer. It was a short trip. Were they showing the horses 
in terms of speed or were they just was it like a dog show no i think that there were jockeys i think they were racing okay that or they sense. were trying to do obstacles maybe they maybe they were going one at the time and try they were going one at the time and trying to do an obstacle course and not knock over stuff okay so I, I don't know much about the Devon Horse Show. I do know that the Bryn Mawr Horse Show at the time of my book was a big fucking deal. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. And the main reason it was a big deal was not even about the horses. It was about the fact that, like, all of society attended it. Mm. And so everyone dressed up real fancy. And it was, it was kind of like fashion, not fashion week, but, like, the Met Gala. Yeah. You know, like sense. people wore really fancy clothes and then people wrote about the clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was psyched about that because my book is about women. So I was like, definitely I got to get them to the horse show. I still haven't figured out what's going to happen at the horse show. Mm. I, I would love to work in Grover and his, his airplane, but we'll see. Yes, that would be amazing. <laughs> like, only if it makes sense. But if not, right. um, you'll just hear about it here right now. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so when I searched for his name, a, a few articles came up. And they mostly had to do with, like, car accidents. Oh, yeah, so then I, I found this one article. It was in um, the Philadelphia Inquirer later that same year. So it said, While joyriding with a party of friends, two of them young women, Grover C. Bergdahl, the youthful aviator, motor car speeder, and University of Pennsylvania law student, whose oh. automobile daring has caused him to figure frequently in the courts, this morning crashed into a car occupied by two well-known men and all had narrow escapes from death. Oh. Right? <gasps> Bergdahl is a member of the wealthy mainline family of that name and is not yet 21. <laughs> um, and then it, it mentions the people who were injured. Um, it said the accident occurred shortly after midnight. And when I read this, it felt really ominous because I, I read about like a few car accidents before this one. And I was like, this dude is a public menace. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of felt a little bit like Phoebe Rush. I was like, oh shit, like he's just, he's just reckless, you know? Um, yeah. Well, wait, he's not even 21 and he's flying planes and driving cars? I apparently. Mean, I, wow. I yeah, mean, so I I was upset, and, and I was like, oh, my God, did, did he, did these people recover? Like, yeah. did he, like, ruin these people's lives with this car accident? Because it sounded like he was racing. They say whose automobile daring had caused him to figure frequently in the courts. <laughs> so, right. and then it listed all the names of his companions. Only one of them listed was a woman. Her name was Florence Haggerty. So then I Googled Florence Haggerty and I couldn't find anything. Mm. And I was like, did he destroy her life? Um, and in, this, in the midst of all this search, I found one more thing, which was in 2012 on Curbed Philadelphia, which is a real estate site. Oh. <laughs> and it was Bergdahl Mansion for 6.9 million. Whoa. 
And here's a line from that article. Basically, they were selling a house that had once belonged to him. And it says, Beer heir Grover Cleveland Bergdahl was an early aviator and playboy who dodged the draft during World War I by hiding in the mansion. That's how big it is. <laughs> okay, so... Wow. He, just every detail is so delicious. Um, yeah. So then I was like, fuck it, there goes my day. <laughs> and I just had to learn everything about him. Um, so that's, that's what led me into the hole. That's what pulled me under. <laughs> wow. I mean, that is quite a quite a series of appearances that he had. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not all, as you will learn. Um, so most of what I learned, so now I'm just going to give you his whole story. Yeah. Um, tell it. Most of what I learned was from a self-published book about him from 2018. <laughs> oh, this book is great, by the way. Very well written. Um, it's called the Artful Dodger, the Artful Dodger, the twenty-year pursuit of World War One draft dodger Grover Cleveland Bergdahl, <laughs> <laughs> and it's by someone named Dirk Langeveld or Langeveld. Mm. Um, Dirk is a marketer of local history books, mostly about Connecticut. And he just took it upon himself to write this one. That's awesome. Yeah. Talk about fucking deep dives. Yeah. Um, (laughs) A lot of the story of Bergdahl that's recorded online are like every fucking detail of his draft dodging, Um, (laughs) which, which, you know, went on for several years. Did he just hide in the mansion? No, he did not just hide in the mansion. That's just one of the many places. Mostly he hid in Germany. To understand Grover Cleveland Bergdahl, I also just love saying his name. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> Such a weird name. It does not stand the test of time. Um, you have to understand where he comes from a little bit. Um, mainly his grandfather. So his grandfather, his original name was Ludwig Bergdahl. Mm-hmm. He was German. Um, but he came to the U.S. as a young man and got he was like an apprentice brewer in germany and got into like the beer brewing trade pretty quick um once he got to philly and uh just got really successful like as the part of philly called brewery town was taking off Mm. do you know brewery town i I feel like I do, but I can't place it at this moment. It's above, like, art museum. Oh, okay. So it's, like, North Philly, but, like, North Philly near the park. Yeah, that makes uh, As sense. opposed to, like, central North Philly. Um, and I don't know how, for, how far north Brewery Town actually goes, but historically it was called that because that's where all the breweries were. Makes sense. Yeah. And that's where Lewis got famous. He started going by Lewis in the U.S. because everyone anglicized their names back then. Um, Right. He had multiple breweries. He, they were, and they were also known by like multiple names. One of them was Bergdahl and Sons Brewing Company. So that's his grandpa. So his grandpa gets married, has a bunch of kids, 
most of them die pretty young because it's the mid 1800s. Right. Um, Sad. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> except for his second son, Louis Jr. Um, Louis Jr. grows up like in the world of like he grows up rich basically his dad right. by that time was pretty successful and he inherited he wound up inheriting everything ultimately wow um because all of his siblings died oh um, wow wait all but one yeah yeah oh, i mean gosh. one of them died at 30 oh okay. um so not like all crazy young, like two of them died real young. Aww. And then one of them died at 30. Yeah. He was the only one who lived past 30. Wow. Yeah. And before all of his siblings were dead, when, when just some of them were, um, so he marries Emma, who is his maid. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Right? So this lady, um, her name, her maiden name is Emma Christina Barth. She's just like a real character throughout the story of Grover. Um, she's, his, she's ultimately going to be Grover's mom. Right. So we're, we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk about Emma because she just, she's interesting. She, she shows up in Philly at 18. She's German. She's really poor German immigrant. Um, she shows up at Philly at 18. She works briefly as a sewing machine operator. And then she gets a job in a maid as the Bergdahl man at the Bergdahl mansion. Mm. And she becomes, at some point, she becomes Lewis Jr.'s wife. Wow. Yeah. So that's rare. That's really rare. Um, and so do you have a guess as to why? <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. Think about it. So she's a young woman. Suddenly she has to get married to a really rich guy. Oh, okay, I'm there. Yeah. They were having a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two stories as to, two competing stories as to why they got married. Um, one of them is that one, right? She got pregnant yeah. and Louis Jr.'s dad, Louis Sr., a.k.a. Ludwig Bergdahl, <laughs> insisted that Louis marries her. Um, which I think, I feel like that's probably the more likely one, given, like, you know, the time and place. Yeah. But Emma has her own version of this story. Mm. She has told people that she always wanted to marry a millionaire. That that was just the plan. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that she was trying to marry Louis Jr.'s older brother, who was still alive at the time. When his dad intervened and was like, marry, marry my other son instead. Huh. Yeah. I, I agree with you that the, the first one seems more realistic. Yeah. But the second one does sort of speak to Emma's character, doesn't it? I, yeah, I guess. From what I, from what I know, I, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, I keep being like, she's a character, and I don't tell you why. 
Lewis Jr.'s mom, so um, so eventually Grover's Grover, who's not born yet, but like his grandma, yeah, hated her. There's a story about so another servant in the house has this story about like going and picking up the food delivery in the morning. So food would be delivered to the house because they're rich, and they would get like milk delivered and like breads. And there would be, there was this neatly packaged box that the serpent opened and it was human shit. Oh. And Emma comes by and she's like, oh, that happens all the time. It's from my mother-in-law. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's quite a, um, that's quite a hatred level. Yeah, yeah. So the, that's the story is that the shit. mother-in-law would just send her packages of her own shit as a reminder that she wasn't fit to be a rich Bergdahl. Wow. Which that's, is interesting um, because, like, you know, she this woman also married an immigrant from Germany. Right. Um, and he wasn't maybe as poor as Emma was. Like, he came with a trade already in his, like arsenal but i mean he wasn't rich when he came over so people forget pretty quick well yes that is true (laughs) and i don't know maybe she was wealthy i don't know much about her but anyway um i also i love how emma was like whatever it was just my mother-in-law it's fine yeah very casual yeah she's she's, uh like whatever um so Emma winds up having a bunch of kids. Um, she has like three or four, and then the final one who is born to her, so number four or five, I'm not sure which, is Grover, is, he's born when Grover Cleveland is president. Um. <laughs> that makes sense. I was really wondering about that. I love it because I feel like that just like, it happens, you know, when people have lots of kids. Or you hear stories about that, like the older kids are named after like family members or like someone close to them. And like by the last kid, it's like, oh, who was the lady who, like the midwife who delivered us? We'll just give that person her name. Or like, who's the president? We'll just, we'll just name him that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because like one of Grover's older brothers was another Lewis just to make things more complicated um, right, and stuff like that. But anyway, he's the last one. And uh, less than a year after he's born, his father dies. So Louis Jr., the father dies. So it's just Emma and her kids for his whole life. Wow. And I don't know, later on when he's a draft dodger, lots of newspapers like to paint him and like later accounts like to paint him as a mama's boy. Mm. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that's fair because like he just didn't have a dad, right? Um, but anyway, so Emma, so she was often described as a mix of hothead and generous. So she was like <laughs> a weird mix. Yeah. So she was known to chase people with pistols when she was oh. mad. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, she loved a gun really far. Um, she was also mad a lot and like <laughs> constantly firing her servants. Like you couldn't stay her servant for very long. 
That is so interesting because she was a servant. Yes, she was. Yeah. Um, and also, she didn't go after her mother-in-law with the shit packages and the pit with her pistol, you know? Right, right. She just shrugged it off. She's like, that's fine, but I'm going to get mad at other people. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and all of these are stories, right? So some of them yeah. are probably exaggerations. I think there are enough stories with pistols in them that this lady did like a pistol. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think some of the shit story might be hearsay. Like, it might be an exaggeration. Right. She was on the board of directors of, basically, she ultimately inherited all of this wealth that right. her husband had. So suddenly this woman who was like this maid many years ago is now, she owns several breweries and multiple properties. And she has like five kids. She's got a lot going on. Um, Yeah. At one point she gets mad because she's on the, like the board of directors of her husband, her deceased husband's brewing company. And they do something she doesn't like. And then she sets up a competing brewing company. (laughs) What? She just starts her own brewing company, even though she owns, like, she's on the board. Oh, my. (laughs) Just to to stir shit up, just because she's pissed off, you know? Um, Wow. So that's Emma. Um, Wow. But also, she's super frugal. Um. So, so she has she has all this wealth, but she grew up really poor. Right. So, like other stories about her are like she would make one soup that would last the whole week, and the kids would just like eat the soup all week long. Wow. Um, also, she had servants to make soup for her. I was gonna you know? ask. Yeah, but, but she, she did a lot did of cooking and cleaning herself. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and the soup, like, had weird stuff in it. Like, it was, like, chicken feet or whatever. Um, oh. She wasn't She wasn't giving them, like, top quality food. Um, let's just say that. Um, yeah. She also sent the kids to public school, which, good on her. But, like, at the time, like, I cannot emphasize how wealthy these kids were. Right. Um, And at the time, it wasn't really done often to send kids to public school with, like, the common people. Right. Um, uh, You know, when when they visited her relatives in Germany, they would travel second class. They would not travel first class. Like, she was very um, frugal. And she also was known to feed people. Like, she had a lot of sort of friends and neighbors who were not as wealthy, and they were, like, always welcome in her kitchen. Oh, Interesting. Right? So there were these two sides to her. Yeah. So this is where Grover comes from. Yeah. It's just, I, I, it's really interesting how people kind of have relationships with wealth, especially like when they are in two different sides of it throughout their lives. It's always really fascinating to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I Makes sense. I also find it fascinating, like what, how people deal with, getting a lot of money all of a sudden when they grew up poor yeah what what how do you how do you sort of deal with that dissociation yeah and the opposite it's all really fascinating oh and the opposite that's a good point it just sounds like she had some had some issues or like insecurities about what she owned and uh it makes a lot of sense from where she came from yeah 
So, so imagine you're Grover. You grew up with this mom yeah. who is <laughs> complicated. Very yeah. sweet to you, probably. Very loyal to you. Um, very, but they're also very busy, like just has a lot going on. Um, the kids mainly grew up on this farm they had in Broomall. Do you know where mm. Broomall is? I don't. I absolutely do, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's near media. Cool, okay. Yeah. My, yeah, so we're, um, we're like Delco, yeah. kind of. Yeah, exactly, Delco. Um, yeah, and they, they, they were kind of left to themselves. They like to play with gunpowder. They also... Um, <laughs> oh, different times, different times. They also, like, at one point, like, created a roller coaster on the farm that they made themselves. Like, they Wait, were into I'm, sort I'm of thrill-seeking. One question. How does one play with gunpowder? I mean, this I did not put in my notes, but I did find in, in the self-published novel, The Art from Dodger, I did find a story about them, like, at almost killing everyone, but, like, sidestepping it. Wow. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's just a term I've never heard. Yeah. To play with gunpowder. But, okay, continue. Continue. <laughs> yeah. They, and also, okay, so there, there's this thrill-seeking bunch. They're mostly boys. There's one girl, um, Elizabeth. And Grover's the youngest. And then Grover has epilepsy also till he's 15. Oh. Um, so he's, like, doing all this fun shit with his brothers. Um, but he's constantly having seizures also. So his mom pays a little more attention to him right than the brothers because of his medical conditions right they all get these tremendous allowances so they all get these allowances that are like the equivalent to if it were today a hundred thousand dollars a year as teenagers what yeah (laughs) but they fly second class right wow but as they're teenagers they're getting these tremendous allowances their father left them these allowances because they're going to come into even way more money than that as they grow up. So the 100,000, wow. this is how rich they are. Like the 100,000 is just like a teaser. <laughs> um, just oh, And the wow. dad wants them to get used to sort of managing money and dealing with wealth. So he's, he's left these allowances for them. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense, but the dad's dead. Yeah. The mom's right. busy, and the boys are thrill seekers. Yeah, so that's not a good combo. how do you think they spend their money? Not in great ways. <laughs> they get into racing. Um, the older brother founds, and he does what rich people do, which is like, like, you know, if, if a person who's not rich gets into car racing, they get into car racing, and they, like, try to find races to be in and try to afford a car. Yeah. Uh, his brother, Grover's older brother, gets into car racing, and he's, he founds a company called <laughs> the Bergdahl Motor Company. It's just Makes a whole sense. company for car racing. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, and there's just all these stories of, like, Grover and his brothers racing cars all around the main line. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> There's this horrible story I hate, but it's it's also kind of funny where they would, like, if they liked a girl, they would, like, drive around a girl's house at top speed and just, like, blast their horn <laughs> until she, like, ran out and jumped in the car for a joyride. What? 
And it's like, girl, don't get into that car. No, don't. <laughs> what are you doing? But I get it. There's not a lot of fun, maybe, in your life. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely these were different times, but also, uh, I mean, a yeah, lot, I'm surprised a parents lot of... let the daughters get into that car. Don't let the daughters get in. Yeah. I, I gotta say, a lot of this, like, honestly makes me think, like, God, nothing changes, really. <laughs> like, teenagers are teenagers, you know, um, rich people are rich people. Like, like I feel like a lot of what interests me about this story is it's, it feels very modern. Yeah, I can totally see why. And it's, it's funny, too, because it's very... You know, well, I didn't grow up on the main line. I, I did live on the main line for a little bit after college. And it's so much of this is very, very main line in the way that it is now. So it's just, yeah, it's, um, you're right. It's modern. Yeah. Um, anyway, the different thing about Grover is he also is really interested in flight. Um, and he studies with the Wright brothers, actually. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. The, the Wright brothers, at this point, like, they've made some planes. They're doing great. And people can go study with them. They can take their course if they can pay, like, this big fee. And if they buy a plane from them, they get, like, extra fast into their course. Like, the Wright brothers mm. need to just keep raising money. Um, right. So he studies with the Wright brothers in the spring of 1912, like it's pretty soon before the horse show. Got it. That's a good use for the, that money, though, for his money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? And, and everything is new. That's what you got to remember is like racing cars is like pretty new. Right. Because cars are pretty new. Right. Um, and planes are even newer. Especially yeah. like rich, like people who are not like scientists owning planes right so right he's studying with the wright brothers he comes back to philly immediately he starts flying um he bought a plane as part of like this course right naturally (laughs) there's this one story about how he flies over city hall in july of 1912 so um Philadelphia City Hall with his friend who who happens to be a balloonist. Ballooning <laughs> was also very big back then. Um, like hot air ballooning? Yeah. Mm. Which I was thinking about that when you were talking about sailing. Oh, yeah. It all comes together, Rebecca. Yeah. It totally, <laughs> wow. Yes. So anyway, he's flying over City that. Hall with this balloonist. Totally stops traffic. Everyone's like, what the fuck? Because planes <laughs> are not normal. Right. Um, <laughs> He loops around the William Penn statue three times, uh, <laughs> which at that time is probably like one of the biggest points, like the tallest points in the city. Right. Um, because City Hall was like the tallest point in Philly for a while. Um, and then he flies west. He flies low near a westbound train. So he's like sort of <laughs> parallel to the train. And That's then he guns the engine just to like show that he can beat the train oh wow so that's the kind of dick this guy is (laughs) (laughs) also like i i'm realizing that there were no rules around flying the way that there are now because i'm like he's flying that low yeah he shouldn't fly that low right like 
but they're you know now that would be a big to do and a big deal and you know there would be action taken or something but at that time wow I'm glad we have I'm glad we have some of those laws and those rules <laughs> yeah yeah I think probably Grover contributed to the creation of some of them yes <laughs> we can thank him for that because that would be terrifying if you're on a train and suddenly there's a plane next to your train yeah like can you imagine that yeah <laughs> I and cannot, then it just like but it would, be, it would really be something like even when a train passes by the train, you know how it like it's really rattly and it's kind of intense. Yeah. Um, that would be that would be something. Yeah. And uh, the other funny thing is like right after this this little escapade, um, the book I read said he took his brother to Devon in hopes of flying over a horse show, but ti- the timing wasn't right. So like mm. he really wants to show off at the horse show, like any <laughs> horse show. <laughs> so he like he's like god he's such a fucking teenager right yes i mean very much that he's very much seeking he has like a complex about sort of thumbing off authority right yep um and then he manages to do it, of course, at the Bryn Mawr Horse Show, which is later in September. Um, he had just, just officially right. officially gotten his pilot's license then. Wait, um, wait, 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 wait. Before that, he was just <laughs> flying around without a pilot's license? What? <laughs> the Wright Brothers course didn't give him a license, but just a plane? <laughs> you could buy a plane? Well, okay, wait, wait. Maybe you still can buy a plane without a license. I don't, I've never attempted to buy a plane. <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly the details. There are more details in the book, but the sense I get is he got sort of like a learner's permit. <laughs> what? <laughs> like he got his plane, he got some kind of, like getting through the course, he got some kind of recognition for that. Got he, it. He I didn't just didn't get the official pilot's license yet. I just when I think learner's permit, I think <laughs> another capable person in the vehicle who knows how to do it. <laughs> you know, not like him and a balloonist flying around the William Penn statue three times. Right. <laughs> That's terrifying. Rebecca, you see why I have to do this podcast. Yes. Because how can I keep this to myself? Right. Like what? What? How do you? Oh, I mean, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad that he got his pilot license before the the Bryn Mawr horse show. But like, I just that is insane to me that you can. It is insane to me that you could buy a plane without a license. And oh, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well. So he's just got his pilot's license. Oh <laughs> um, the, there are two more details I like about the Bryn Mawr Horse Show um, besides what I read to you in the beginning. One is he his, he began his flight over the horse show when Mrs. M.H. Thompson rode a chestnut mare named My Butterfly in a victory lap. <laughs> oh, good timing. <laughs> another article was like a little bit more... Um, positive um and described it just like as fun um it said dignity and clothes were forgotten in the wild rush to gain the open ground where no canopy blocked the view skyward 
So basically mm-hmm. everyone ran out of the ring to like a field nearby so they could like see the plane. Because yeah. again, planes are exciting and new. Right, it's a big deal. And I mean, I guess like I can definitely see the lure of the power to take the big event of the day and be able to disrupt it and it's like fuck you mom and dad (laughs) i mean yeah like Like his parents aren't there but like the society he grew up in is there yeah well and he must i mean that must be that must have been really really weird for those kids to live in this frugal way but then just have all of this money like you know i i think it's a good idea to learn how to grow up in wealth maybe maybe um but it must have just been really really like i feel like they were getting the same complex that their mom had through that experience that's a really good insight i mean most of grover's so a lot of grover's money at this point was going to paying off cops um (laughs) (laughs) because of course it was because yeah it was like basically he kept getting into car accidents um, oh my gosh or at least getting tickets for like speeding or something because he was constantly speeding <laughs> um because he loved car racing and all his brothers did too yeah and he would get these tickets but the tickets would be nothing to him because he had a hundred thousand dollar a year allowance. Right. So why not just keep getting them? So he would just get the tickets and pay them. There was this, like, eventually, what happened? Um, finally, we're like, we're gonna take away your driver's license. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think was a weird thing back then. Like, it took them a while. I don't think there were laws in place for any of this. I think they were, like, kind of figuring it out as they went along. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, (laughs) there was literally no incentive for him to stop unless something like that could happen. But did he still have his pilot license when he lost his driver's license? He still had his pilot license. And also, he didn't care that they took away his license because he was like, this is what the book said, which I don't understand. Um, it said he figured he would be able to take the road simply by registering his car. Oh. <laughs> so somehow, like, registering your car makes license not a thing? Maybe back right. then? I mean, like, I guess we don't really exactly know how licenses worked. Or yeah. car and registrations. And he also was known to say that only cab drivers, drivers and chauffeurs require licenses anyway. Oh, that's kind of scary. Yeah, I don't know if it was true or if he was just being a dick. (laughs) Right. Oh my, that's so interesting. I've never really thought about um, that process of like when new technology comes into the world that would be good to have some like rules and laws and policing around, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, there's I always really people who about... break them first, right? The, like, totally. I think with computers and hackers and all kinds of stuff, like, I don't yep. fucking know what I'm talking about, but, right? Like, the, yeah. the laws are always trying to catch up with the people who are doing crazy shit. Totally. It's just, it's really weird to think about cars potentially without a license structure at all. Like, that's a really weird 
I've just never even thought about that as a thing, but it, it makes sense. You know, we had to figure it out and evolve. Here's another thing that will be interesting to you that he did after yeah. his license was taken away. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he drove around the main line with a red and white banner tied to the back of his car saying, I have my license. (laughs) (laughs) And as he did this very fast joyride, he would throw out printed cards. So cards that got engraved that said, (laughs) goodbye, farewell, the Ardmore cops can go to hell. Oh, wow. Which I love because it's like, it's like funny, but also think about the time involved in like just doing, doing that. all that, like getting your cards engraved. Yeah. I mean, that must have, yeah, that must have been so much more of a thing then. But then again, like he had the money. So yeah, that's where <laughs> his money was going to printing cards that read goodbye, farewell, the Ardmore Cups can go to hell. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the I have my license banner. Um, I mean, you know, that's, yeah. Wow. Wow. That is a, that is a sure good way to get pulled over almost immediately nowadays. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, the cops at this point, like, like some of them were still amused by him, but most of them were like fucking pissed. Yeah. I mean, of course, of course. And during all of this time, the trial for the car accident that he got into, the really bad one that I read that article about, yeah, um, was going on. Like it was like oh, a long drawn wow. out trial. Yeah. And whatever um, came of it, he got sentenced to three months in county jail. Oh. Which is interesting because, (laughs) like, as a rich boy, that was kind of a harsh sentence. Oh. Considering that he didn't, everyone recovered. Yeah. The fact was the car was damaged. It was his car, though. Um, And everyone survived. But, like, what they were trying to point out was that, like, their survival was kind of a miracle. Like, the car was basically totaled. Um, Yeah. They could have died. They were like, you could be up on, like, manslaughter charges right now, and it's just, like, a miracle that you're not. Yeah. Um, But also they gave him three months in jail because they didn't know what else to do at this point. Like, any kind of fine he would just pay. Right, yeah, it has to be something more than that. When you said three months initially, I just thought that is such a short sentence, but of course for a rich boy at that time, it was long. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, totally. It, this this whole story is a story, it's like Kardashian. Yes. It's like, it's like very privileged story. Yes. It's, yes. it's surprising, it was surprising to his family that he got in jail at all. Wow. But like, it just speaks to how much everyone was fed up with and hated him at this point. Yeah. Um, so he serves three months in county jail in Norristown. Um, 
there was this judge uh, whose last name was Schwartz, who um, was petitioned by his like Grover team's like legal team to let him mm. off early because he was very good in jail. He was like a model prisoner. Whatever, <laughs> there was nothing for him to do. Um, right? Yeah, he doesn't get a fucking gold medal for like being good in county jail. Um, <laughs> like it wasn't like he was even in prison, you know. Um, yeah. But they were like, he really wants to go to law school at UPenn. Um, the entrance exams are coming up. He's being a good boy. Like, can you let him out early for the entrance exams? And the judge, Schwartz, is like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently his mom, Emma, was so mad that she says she would have shot him if she had brought her pistol. <laughs> And there's another quote that says, during one conference with Grover's attorney, she became so enraged on seeing a picture of Schwartz on the wall that she threw it on the ground, stomped on it, and spat on it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so Emma's being Emma. Um, yeah. <laughs> one, one little other thing about it. He finally gets out of county jail. Yeah. He immediately goes to check out his plane because it's been three months <laughs> um and luckily he does a thorough inspection because someone sabotaged his plane while he's in <gasps> prison oh wow so if he had taken the plane out without doing this thorough inspection he surely would have crashed whoa so i mean he made a lot of enemies yeah like I think I think some people loved him because he was like a stunt guy and he was like you know that's appealing to some people but also sure. a lot of people hated him. <laughs> a moment about his time as a law student at Penn. He just he he is not there for the work. Right, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> he he says at one point that he went to law school to try to figure out how to get out of legal trouble all the time. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. But, like, eventually that that does not stick. He, he gets into, like, school politics. He wins vice president. Um, Whoa. Yeah. They, they say, Grover Cleveland Bergdahl, vote for him. He favors a square deal. <laughs> um, but then someone accuses him of, like... Favoritism, or I don't know, something, something involving like political being in cahoots, and then mm. he forms a spinoff party, <laughs> and he calls it like the People's Party. It, it, he's just everything's a joke to him. Um, yeah. He also okay. He finances two newspapers. Oh, two news Which... newspapers at UPenn. Two school papers that he just pours money into. <laughs> The two papers are called Vox <laughs> and Precursor. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Precursor is apparently the more raunchy newspaper. Uh, this is really shitty. Um, so three students committed suicide. Oh, wow. Sidebar. Three students commit suicide that year. I wonder what was going on that year. Um, he writes an editorial in The Precursor, suggesting that one of the deceased men should have buckled down with real might and main to overcome his difficulties. 
Whoa. And he made several puns about the dead students in his newspaper. Ooh, okay, that is not okay. Yeah, fucked up. Um, so they're all, everyone's up in arms. They're very upset. They want to expel him. Yeah. Um, he is like, fuck y'all. He threatens <laughs> to leave. <laughs> Unless the administrators granted him, quote, absolute freedom of the press and, quote, unlimited opportunity for the gratifications of his whims and fancies. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, Eventually he gets expelled for not going to gym class. (laughs) That's why he got expelled? (laughs) Yeah. Because they don't even want to, like, engage with him, you know? So they're like, oh, he never went to gym. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Also, they have gym at law school. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. What? what? I mean, there's a lot of what's in this story. There's a lot of what's in this story. I mean, just... Yeah. Was law school grad school back then? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know, because he's so young this whole time. Right. He's like 22. So maybe it's grad school, but maybe undergrad isn't quite so long, or grad school is short. I don't know. But, I mean, he doesn't finish. Yeah. He just gets expelled, and then he just races cars for a while. Um, and then World War One starts. Oh, okay. Not surprised at all now about the dodging. Yeah. It makes <laughs> sense. It just makes sense. Of course he wasn't going to go. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing about the draft dodging is not so much that he dodged. It's... It's the, like, press attention to him dodging the draft. Mm. Because a lot of rich guys dodge the draft. There's a lot of reasons why the press, like, focused on him. One of the clear ones was that he's German. Mm. So he has this German mother who's, like, a German peasant hothead. (laughs) And all of a sudden, like... Everything turns anti-German real quick because, as you know, like right. the U.S. was for a while not taking sides in World War One. Yeah, um, Wilson wins on not getting into World War One, and then in the second term, he gets us into World War One. Um, and there wasn't a lot of support initially. Like, it, this is a quote I found that was interesting. With little initial support for war, Woodrow Wilson's administration offered overheated rhetoric about German barbarism. Mm. Amid the hysteria, schools canceled German classes, Beethoven was excised from concerts, and sauerkraut was renamed Liberty Cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) That I've never heard of, Liberty Cabbage. Yeah, I guess it didn't stick. It did not (laughs) stick. And, like, okay, so here's the thing. Like, this is not World War II. Like, we're not talking about Nazis right now. Yeah. Um, This is World War I where everything's just, like, complex and weird. Yeah. And Grover and his family have all these relatives in Germany. Right. Like... He is a draft dodger, and probably 90% of dodging the draft was him being like, fuck you, authority, and also, like, I don't want to do anything hard, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. But maybe 10% of that was like, I don't want to fight my cousins. Right. Yeah. And that's legit. It's legit. It's complicated. Drafts, I mean, God, we've we've never grown up in a draft. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. So basically what happens is when he begins to dodge the draft, like he doesn't show up for a couple preliminary things. And they officially declare him a deserter. And maybe because of all the stuff with the racing... And maybe because of his German heritage, like, newspapers go crazy about him. Wow. And everyone's like, this fucking deserter, this fucking German, we hate him so much. There's there's a lot, like, you can find on how he dodged. Like, there were many, many steps. Right. Basically, he hid, he, like, hid throughout the U.S. for a while. Eventually, they caught him. And they brought him to Governor's Island, where he was in prison. Um mm. But this is, this is like, the best part, maybe, is that when he was in prison, he was like, he got his lawyers involved. And his lawyers were like, okay, listen, Grover has some gold buried in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he's really worried about it because, like, anyone could take it. Like, it's not being looked after. <laughs> what the fuck (laughs) could he have like a dispensation to go with some armed guards like in custody the whole time to Maryland to just like put his gold in a safe location (laughs) and they got it through what that's wow that is that's insanity yeah so what do you think happened (laughs) Uh, he escaped yeah and he went to Germany? Yeah, he did. <laughs> it was like round two of, of I course. have my license all over again. <laughs> wow. I could not, I mean, I, I both can and cannot believe that that got through. Yeah. I mean, so he. Did he actually have any gold in Maryland? I don't know. He yeah. didn't make it to Maryland. Like, they, they stopped <laughs> at his mom's house. And for some reason, maybe he was like, can I see my mom since we're, you know, going this way? Maybe he had to pee. I don't know. (laughs) My God. Maybe the lawyers or managed to get him like a visit with his mom in the mix. Right. So he's there with his armed guards at his mom's house. His chauffeur is waiting. His (laughs) chauffeur is in on it. The mom has probably arranged the whole thing. Yep. That sounds right. Emma also is like, my boy, you know. Um, Right. So he just, like, jets into the car, and they drive real fast and get away. Wow. Wow. That is wild. Yeah, and they get, they get, eventually make it to Canada. (laughs) And from Canada, he flies to Germany. And he lives with his uncle for a while in Germany. He lives in Germany for a bunch of years, like, throughout the war. Wow. Um, And after the war, he marries a German woman. He has a bunch of kids. Wow. Um, But throughout this whole time, American newspapers are covering this constantly. Because he is, like, an example of a devil to them. Right. And it's, it's sort of like a break 
from covering World War One, but it's like related, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, it's definitely related. Yeah, it's so just it's like it's like not just like we had this battle, we had this many casualties. It's like the big bad German deserter. Like, what's <laughs> going on with with Grover? <laughs> At one point, they petitioned to call someone petitions to call him GC because they're like, we cannot besmirch the name of Grover Cleveland, our president from the 1800s. Oh, yeah, that makes that makes sense. (laughs) Um, He does eventually come back. And what I'm not going to get into because I've been talking forever is like (laughs) there are there are two parties sent to Germany to try and get him to try and kidnap him back to the U.S. so that he can stand trial wow. for deserting. Wow. Um, and there are shoot-offs involved in both both cases, I think. So, like, wow. people die. Like, holy shit. In the name of trying to get this guy back. Wow. It, it's honestly, like, it's not weird that he was so covered in this. It's just weird that all the things that he did before did not get him coverage (laughs) exactly yeah i mean one of the articles was like all the fury over um all the fury over his accidents was nothing compared to like the fury over his deserting wow someone also i also read somewhere that like he as a rich guy was like pretty high up on the numbers like, he probably would not have been called so early, but then someone involved in draft, like, put his name at the front because he was like, fuck that guy. Oh, I can see there being even more rebellion from him. Yeah. <laughs> based on that, that, yeah. Because it's the entitlement, right? It's like, I deserve, yeah. like all other rich men, not to go to war. Yeah, also, I didn't know that the draft was, I didn't know that wealth was a part of it, but of course it was, and that's really fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I could I don't know how the draft worked exactly. Um, yeah, but certainly, if there are wealthy people, there will be ways to like manipulate at least like your role in the war. Right. Like Grover, at one point when he had deserted, but before like he was imprisoned in Governor's Island, he sent some kind of message that was like, if I could just be a pilot, like if I could teach at, at a pilot school, I would join. And. Um, the people, the draft people were like, no, you don't get to choose. Like, that's not how this works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, but to maybe choose everything else. Been, I'm not saying what should have happened. I don't know what should have happened. This guy was like a narcissist, clearly, but like, yeah, people wouldn't have died if they had just let him be a pilot. Drafts are really complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's hard maybe to Maybe someone imagine. one day will explain them to me like over yeah. this podcast <laughs> yeah there you go there you go put that out but it's it's hard to imagine living in one and it's hard to yeah I mean it's hard to imagine like how that would how that would go and it you know it it does make sense on the one hand for if you're going into this thing and you have to do it for your country like to be able to have some choice and some capacity but of course in a draft when they just need people fighting that's not gonna be a workable thing it's it's very complex yeah yeah so the end of the story is like 
a little dark too. Um, basically, you get to 1939, so we're getting toward the 40s. Grover's still in Germany. Wow. Um, so we're getting toward like Nazi regime times. Right. Um, a lot of people who have dodged the draft by going to Europe or some or Canada or something. I don't know if it was Canada because Canada was fighting. I don't I don't know where people went. But yeah. regardless, a lot of people who dodged the draft are coming back and getting amnesty. Um, because they don't want to be in like war torn wherever they are. Right, right, um, right. If Grover stays in Germany, he will probably become a Nazi prisoner. Right. So he wants to come back too. But the US government is like, oh, we don't want to give that guy amnesty. We can't. <laughs> um, so basically, a legislation, like US legislation on the national level, is introduced to revoke Grover's citizenship, thus barring Whoa. him from the country. So he would be basically a prisoner in Nazi Germany, which is really intense. Um, yeah. And this guy Harness, who is like a Southern representative, his name is Forrest Harness, um, who has taken this up as a cause. He's like, I'm gonna just get this guy Bergdahl for like symbolic reasons. And he says, do the rigors of, of the Hitler dictatorship chafe his wastrel playboy soul? Wow. Which like, yeah, probably they do, Harness. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Like, I, it's just fucked up. I don't know. I mean, it's just fucked up from all sides. I get why they want to keep him there. Um, yeah, but also, but he would probably die. Yeah. So, the bill passes unanimously in the House of Reps. Wow. Um, and Grover's basically warned that it will probably pass in the Senate in May um, of that year. So, he just comes home. He's just like, okay, I'd rather be in prison in the U.S. than dead in Germany. So he comes home, goes to prison. Wow. And the fact is, like, if he's on U.S. soil before it passes, then he's still a citizen. So he just, like, makes it home in time, and he goes to prison. Wow. For how long? He was sentenced to serve the remainder of his term plus three years. So he had a term for um, draft dodging. Plus three extra years for deserting. So he gets out in 1944. So he surrenders in 39. It's less than 10 years. Yeah, wait, you said 39 to 44? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's five. Yeah. So wow. it's not that long. I mean, considering no. everything. No. I've also read that, like, when he comes home, people kind of forgive him. Like... Like, the act of him being con contrite somehow helps the public perception of him. I mean, that makes sense. It's fucked up in some ways because, like, you know, he got he got to come home. Like, he got amnesty when a lot of people didn't get to immigrate. Yeah. Um, which is crazy fucked up considering he left. Yeah. But also, I, I mean, mean totally. It's It's all very complicated. Yeah, it was. I mean, that whole, yeah, that whole situation was very, very complicated. And I mean, 
I, I do I do get though from people's kind of image of him like here is this really wealthy privileged kid just doing whatever the heck he wants all the time you know and uh, he finally like faces up to it for the first time really I mean three months in prison is nothing <laughs> the first <Yeah>. time <laughs> so I, I I get like I, I I can I can see that where like he ruffled so many feathers and he just did whatever the fuck he wanted all the time even caused so much mayhem and destruction and people to be like injured and uh, also people died because of it you know so I I get that like I get that forgiveness of like okay he finally he's finally like actually facing what he's done and serving time for it and you know I I can see that as as much as it is absolutely yeah fucked up in many ways yeah and he dies also he dies in a mental institution oh yeah after prison he's kind of like not the same so he gets uh put away whoa yeah well that's grover (laughs) okay so after all of this how could you not include his flight at the Bryn Mawr horse show in your book like I mean like I have to make it relevant to my character (laughs) yeah I know I know I know but I'm gonna try and find a way I mean part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because I've been mulling it in my head like I'm re-outlining my book right now and I'm like hitting the horse show in my outline and I'm like what happens at the horse show because yeah. a lot of things need to happen, like, for my main character, you know? Yeah, right. And I, I don't quite know how the horse show fits it in, but I really want to make it fit. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't, maybe he could just, you know, fly a plane around this yeah, he's <laughs> city hall statue three around, times right? or something. Or, <laughs> or, you know, next to a train that they're on if they were ever on a train. Totally. I mean, um, I could make it an Easter egg, too. I could be like... At one point, a plane flies by really low, and they're like, that's weird. And that's just the whole thing. Yes. Yes, I feel like if you can't fit it in, at least just something, something like that, that some, maybe a couple people who read your book will appreciate. Yeah, you And understand. Um, My dad, maybe. Yeah, or anybody that listens to this podcast. Sure, there will be plenty, maybe. Yes, Absolutely. That will understand, but yeah, I feel like with the depth of Grover and all that you just told me, I feel like I feel like he's got to go somewhere, even if it's just an Easter egg. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. Should we move on to something I learned this week? Yes. What did you learn this week? So this is from my dad, <laughs> who's doing all the something I learned this week's for this season. But eventually, we hope that people will write in and share something you learned uh, in your research hole or just in your life. Um, let's see what he has to say. All right. Is there such a thing as internet and or iPhone addiction? Yes. Yeah, obviously <laughs> there is. That's not news, dad. Of course it is. If you research, you will find scientists who say that internet phone interaction will generate dopamine in varying degrees. Here are some iPhone stats. Okay, so I guess the stats are the facts. Got it. Got it. iPhone owners unlock their devices an average of 80 times per day. That's actually less than I would have thought. 
Really? Let's go by and we'll see surprised or not surprised. I was surprised okay. by this. You were not I surprised. I felt like it would be more. Eight? Yeah. I, well, okay. I, maybe my phone just locks really quick. But every time <laughs> I pick it up, I have to unlock it. Yeah. And, like, I'll, but I, I often do the thing, like, I often will, like, pick up my phone for something, put it down, and then walk away. And then I come back and I always just look at it, you know? Um, or I hear messages come in and then I come over and, and unlock it. So I don't know. I feel like I don't always like to have it with me and what I'm doing, but like every time I look at it, I do unlock it. And that's a lot of times a day. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Here's another stat. Tell me if you're surprised or not. 89% of undergraduates in a study experienced phantom vibrations. I'm not surprised by that. Not surprised at all. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 53% of millennials wake up at least once every night to check their phones. Whoa. 53%. 53? Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit the surprised way it's by worded, that. I'm like, you wake up to check your phone or you wake up and then you check your phone because that's different. Right. Yes. Yes. Though if you, if you're waking up to check your phone, yes. Very surprised. <laughs> Get that sleep. Get that sleep. Leave the phone be. But also, if you wake up and you're like, what time is it? I mean, everyone's clock is on their phone now. Yeah. I oh, oh, and I don't even, so I don't even check my phone, like, when I wake up. I actually, like, have a bunch of things I do before I look at, like, messages or anything. But I still will look at the time, always. Yeah. Okay. And then there's this other set of stats that's, like, um, percentage of time when Americans use their phone in, like, weird places. So... <laughs> During sex, 9%. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, 9% that. isn't that big. I, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I actually would... I mean, if you count watching porn on your phone, it would probably be a lot higher. Right. In yeah. the shower, 12%. Um, Unsafe. That's a little surprising, <laughs> but I guess, I guess all these... Like, I still have an older phone... And I mean, it's an iPhone, but an older iPhone. And I guess the newer models are actually truly waterproof. So maybe that's a thing. Oh, also, I just noticed that this is from a 2013 mobile consumer. (laughs) 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 That is not relevant, Dad. It is now 2021. But you know what? I wow. Okay, I would have thought the percentages then would be a lot lower. Yeah, I well, especially I the that... shower because my phone is not. I would not put it in water like people. Wow. I, I bet they're a lot higher now. I bet they're a lot higher now. I still want to hear the others though. Okay, we'll 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 run through them while okay. in church or place of worship. Nineteen percent. Less than I would have thought. In a movie theater, thirty-five percent. That seems about right. Yeah. On a dinner date, 33%. Lower than I thought. Same. At a child's school function, (laughs) 32%. Way lower than I would have thought. Way lower than I would have thought, too. Oh, my God. You need to use your phone at a child's school function. Jesus. Yeah, like, that's that's the time. (laughs) I went to my nephew's dance recital pre-pandemic so two years ago I don't even know what year it is but yeah the phone was how I got through that thing 
I mean, it was great to watch him dance. That was delightful. But like there was right. an hour of strangers dancing and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just that's I mean, also like also the picture taking and video taking, you know? when it is your kid right exactly yeah you do all that on your phone but maybe you didn't in 2013 i mean i will say that i so i've been to a lot of child functions from my niece and nephew you win the ant award for sure i mean i don't there's no award but um Uh, rebecca is very close with her niece and nephew um yeah and they're they're very much a part of like her immediate family yeah yeah i would say that that's true um, but I, you know, I used to, pre-pandemic, go to all of their shows because they were in a school where they had a, a play every year and then they also did, like, other plays. But I will say it was like a, people got frustrated if somebody's phone light was on because their kid, like, if their kid was on stage, it was, like, very clear that you do not touch your phone unless you're recording. Like, that was acceptable, mm. but any other form was not and I mean I think I went to like six of these plays (laughs) so I uh you know became very aware of this but yeah it was certain functions like that like the phone usage was very frowned upon except for video and picture taking so maybe the 35 percent did you say maybe that makes sense yeah yeah well that was that was a fun set of facts ultimately yeah yeah it was um so listeners, if you'd like to share something you learned this week, either while researching a podcast or just living your life, email me at researchholepodcast at gmail.com. I may read your email in a future episode. Um, I know, Rebecca, that we didn't talk about your work very much in this episode, but um, we do in the first episode. So everyone tune in yes. to hear more about Rebecca's work. Um, and if they want to find you outside of podcast land, where can they find you? So they can head to my website, RebeccaJOfficial.com, or they can find me on Instagram, Rebecca underscore J with two Ys. Thank you for starting out this journey with me. Absolutely. I I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. I'm, I, I was so glad to be a part of this and I'm really honored to be your first guest and Thanks for teaching me all about Grover. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to be mulling over some of the details of that over the next day or so. I'll send you a photo, too. The photo just, he just looks like everyone in that time. Totally. Yeah, please do. Please do send me a photo. Because <laughs> now I'm in charge. Okay. Um, thank you. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me. You just heard the very first episode of the podcast Research Hall. I'm Val Helen. Thank <laughs> you.